Welcome, everybody, to the fifth episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your co-host, Simon. Manny, how are you? You're in Chile, right? I am indeed in Chile. Uh, When I had booked this trip, newsflash, I'm turning 40 this year, so I decided to treat myself to a nice, you know, trip in Chile and Patagonia and then the northern Chilean desert. And when I had booked this trip, I was sort of regretting coming down because I thought I'm going to miss, you know, our potential Champions League tie, whoever we're playing. This is booked months ago. And if we get into the quarterfinals, but man, that was, it's been a pretty good decision coming down here. Boy, it's been a really, really good decision. Absolutely but, spectacular foresight. Really, really good foresight. <laughs> If there was an ever time, if there was ever a time in Chelsea history to go on vacation for two weeks and just sort of unwind, it's probably been this time. You know, I mean, it's it's been beautiful, bro. I went on this crazy hike uh, two days ago, hiked around 16 miles. I don't even know how many kilometers that is. Sorry, I talk in um, miles as well. It's fine. Yeah, 16 miles um, elevation gain of over 4,000 feet. Uh, like my, le- it was like over t- eight to 12 hours. It was one of the, uh, hikes that you do in Patagonia, um, is to go to sort of this base of the towers. It's, it was just so beautiful, man. But we left like at the crack of dawn and got back to the hotel around like 7 PM. And my legs were like jelly, man. <laughs> you know, it, it, it felt like I played, you know, three whole 90 <laughs> minutes of <laughs> football on the pitch <laughs> It was, but it's been such a great trip. It's been an incredible, incredible experience just being like, you know, disconnected from all things, not just Chelsea, but from work and, you know, hanging with three of my really good friends down here. And we're just doing a hiking trip, a bro trip. It's been a blast. Awesome. It's been a That's great. Big, yeah, big man. Blast. I'm glad you had a good time. Yep. How you been, buddy? You know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, Nashville is, is, beautiful at the moment really really nice um other things apart from general life aka football aka chelsea have been okay um seems to be chelsea is really preoccupying my thoughts at the moment and ruining my mood ruining my mood um had a really good weekend if i'm being honest besides football which is generally what my weekend tends to center around anyway. I went to a really cool uh, house music night on Friday night in Nashville. And yeah, I really, you know, to be honest, I really wish I did this after watching Chelsea. Cause like, like you, I think you've avoided some good, good times to not to watch Chelsea, I think. And everything that I'm doing at the moment was b- before the Chelsea game yesterday. And yeah, oh, man, what a, what a dire situation we are in at the moment. And I, I'm quite jealous that you weren't managed to, like it's, you've been detached from Chelsea World for the last last week or so. Um, it's been a journey, been a real journey. Um, yeah, off the back of losing to Brighton 2-1 yesterday. And also we haven't done a pod since the Real Madrid defeat earlier in the week as well. It's, uh, it's really depressing times. Very, very depressing times. Um, on the pod this time, we didn't really want to go too much into the game analysis over the last week, um, 
purely because we feel that we might have spoken about it all at this point. And what we thought we would do is talk about what needs to change and what needs to happen now because we're in a real crisis point. Um, we'll talk quickly about summation of the game. So, Manny, what are your additional thought, uh, th- th- thoughts on the two games this week from what you've seen? Yeah, um, that was probably one of the hardest things to do is coming back and rewatching the game. Uh, you know, obviously, <clears throat> when you're out in nature, you're disconnected, and then you come back to the lodge and had the games recorded and rewatched them, and it was it sort of shifted from like this mindset that I was in sort of this Zen moment and then seeing both matches um, just, uh, I think my initial thoughts of both games is just disorganized chaos um, in all aspects of the pitch. And it's, um, it's difficult to kind of, put things in perspective in terms of what went wrong. I think a lot of things went wrong. And I think we kind of hit on a lot of that stuff in the prior pod with the hiring that Chelsea made. And I think that it it sort of starts from the top and kind of works its way down. And I don't want to, like you said earlier, I don't want to get into the semantics of each and every single game, but having watched both games and I had the luxury of knowing the score before watching the game. So I was more mindful in, you know, in, in keeping an eye on certain players and the formation that I was the actual outcome of the game, which I think it actually, it's, it's different, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're watching the game live in a pub, you're more sort of in tune and trying to figure out who's going to score or whatnot. But if you're watching the game for the first time, already knowing the outcome and knowing when each team is going to score, it's, it's a whole different experience. And, what I saw from both games is that it was just disorganized chaos. I think what we saw from Frank Lampard and his last dent at Chelsea and what we saw in his first matches uh, managed here is that our pressing is so disorganized, whether we have when we're out of possession. And if, if, if you just give me a few seconds to talk about a couple instances in both games, I thought what we were exposed in both games was that there was so much space that was created between the midfield and the back four. There was a huge gap in between those in, in, in both games. And against Madrid, we were sort of, you know, taking a task to in the midfield. And then against Brighton, you just saw Matomo and McAllister and Solly Marsh just run ends against our midfield and our back four because there was just so much space and i think that starts with frank lampard's tactics of this sort of high press wanting to try to regain possession and cause a turnover and score from that end but when you have him pushing zacharia and connor gallagher up high leaving then it leaves you leaves our lone midfielder in so much space on his own and then you have matomo and marsh and McAllister just shooting passes wide centrally to Ferguson when he was on the pitch. And then Wildbeck when he came down the pitch, it was just, it, it just, it just shows you how much sort of evolution Chelsea has gone through this season from Tuchel to Graham Potter to Lampard from organization to semi-organization to disorganization. 
And I think what you've seen in this Chelsea team is it's going to be tough to score goals, right? We knew that coming in, regardless of who the manager is, we don't have a number nine, solid number nine. So scoring goals is going to be hard for this team. And it's been that way for the last three games, right? Mm -hmm. But you can see the difference in the managers because even if we can't score goals, there is still a sense of organization in all aspects of the pitch. And we lost that when Tuchel got fired and we maybe retained some of that with Potter. Potter, obviously we, we were not happy with Potter's Chelsea throughout the season, right? It's been one of the worst teams we've ever seen and, you know, Don the Chelsea kit. But then what we see now is even worse. Yeah, it is. It's, I mentioned on the last podcast, Oh, I thought it was the last one, but the one where we mentioned about Lampard being hired and the fear that I had was that what we would be is wide open. And I think the game yesterday showed that more than anything that Brighton, I do not know how it was to score, only scored two goals. I do not know how it was possible that they only scored two goals. They cut us open literally every time I was looking at some of the tactics of the Fafana and Badia Shield were man marking McAllister and Evan Ferguson, their striker, who's a really young, talented player, and was just leaving Matoma wide open on the right, our right hand side for Trevor Chalabar to to try and mark out the game. And Matoma is a class act, unbelievably good player, and he just tore us to shreds. Absolutely tore us to shreds. Every time he came forward, it looked like they were going to score, and it's. It's, it's it was I was so low watching it. I've been in real shock, real shock since since the game on Saturday to to kind of process what I watched, and it was just everything that everything that we feared. And I have absolutely no joy in being right about it. Like I love Frank Lampard so much for what he's done for Chelsea and our history, but this is a very different situation and a guy who's just not equipped to deal with what the challenges we're facing at the moment, and. The Real Madrid game summed that up as well. I, I don't know how it finished 2-0. We had a couple of very good opportunities. We created very little against Brighton. Very, very little. And all credit to them. They're a fantastic team. Real fantastic team. And it's it's a real depressing state of affairs. So I think what we wanted to do on this podcast this week is talk about what changes need to be made immediately and what we would do in this situation. So we've kind of divided it into two scenarios. And the first one being from Frank Lampard's perspective, because I think he's—I don't think he's going to get sacked um, unless we are in real relegation bother, which I still think we're far away from. But what if you were Todd Bowley speaking to Frank Lampard? What would you what would you speak to him now and say to him? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to come down to this game on Tuesday. I think you and I both know that I does I don't. I mean, I I, I have. I want us to put on a show. I want us to try to maybe move on, but seeing what we saw the last three games under Lampard, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think if and when we do get kicked out of CL, I think the focus should be now on Lampard. Uh, I think Bowley needs to tell Lampard, all right, you know what? The season getting into Europe, whether it's Conference League, Europa, CL is probably out of the question now. Relegation, you know, I, I still think we're not going to get relegated, but you know, obviously that's 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 going to be something that we should keep an eye on. I think what Bowley should tell Lampard now is just focus 
on the players that are going to be staying next year, give them ample playing time. I think that you have to start, you have to start Fafana and Badia Shield moving forward. Let them, you know, create that partnership pairing that you want in your center backs of the future. I think that's the number one thing I would be doing. I think uh, number two, I would try to play as many youngsters as I can in the forward line, Madueke, Mudrik, maybe even Fofana, to have them sort of develop this partnership and this creativity that they can sort of build upon next year. I think you have to continue playing Enzo and Conte, Enzo and Kova, because I think that I think Enzo Conte will be our midfield next year, hopefully with the defensive mid coming in. And I think we have to protect uh, Reese James. We have no coverage if something goes wrong with him. And that's been a Chelsea issue in the past. Luckily, we'll have some coverage coming in next year. But I would try to see, you know, maybe Trevor Chalaba did not look at right center back, did not look very good in the right center back position um, against uh, Brighton. But I think that was also because he was getting no coverage from Pulisic on the right. He was left in no man's land a lot of time. And so as much as I, when I saw the game, I was sort of focused on him because I was like, you know, this is not a position that he's normally played in. It's always been either Reese James or RLC and Trevor, you know, played a couple game times in that position, but he's not a right fullback, right? He's either center back or defensive mid. So I think that you have to maybe give him some more minutes in that position in case something happens, you know, in the future. I don't think Ruben Loftus-Cheek is going to stay next year. I So I think you need to limit the minutes of the players that are that are going to be moving with the summer and just give the minutes to the players that we know are going to be here in the future. I think that should be the focus. Number two, I think he needs to have Lampard sort of focus on a formation back three or back to, or, or a back four. This, you know, this shifting between two is not helping anybody out. It's not giving the players on the pitch uh, ample, ample time to build upon that, the formation, right? You're moving from back three to back two or back four. I think that's the other thing. Lampard's not going to be sacked no matter what. So moving forward, two things. Stick to formation, regardless of who you're playing, because there's nothing really to build upon when we get out of CL. Just staying above the relegation zone should be our main priority. Number two, start play, start players that who we can build upon the future so they can develop a relationship and understanding. Badia Shofafana and the youngsters up top. Good points. I think my thought process is similar. I think I would be very forefront with Frank if I was Bowley and I would say to him, these are the players, because they know, they know which players they're planning to sell. They know which players they don't want in the squad. I would say to Frank, I was sitting down and say, these players are the ones who are going to be leaving, whether it's loan, we're going to cancel their contract, we're going to sell them. These are the players who are not going to be here next year. Don't play them. Don't put them in the match day squads. Make them train separately to the rest of the team. At this point, I don't think there could be any worries about making the squad harmony any worse than it is because they're just playing like a bunch of strangers. Players like Ziyech, if we know he's going to go, don't put him in the matchday squad. You're blocking a pathway. If Kovacic is going to go, if Kovacic is going to go, and I'm not completely sold on the fact that he should be, don't play him. Play Carney. Play a number of other players who need to who need to get those minutes because we're building our team for the future. Some of these players are not giving their all for Chelsea, so they they shouldn't be included. They should not be included, and I think that's personally I think that's the most important thing at this point. But I, I, I my second point was similar to yours in terms of formation. 
at this point, I don't see us winning any more games. So we can't lose. So just make us difficult to beat. Set up defensively, play five at the back, make us really difficult to play against and don't lose or don't get thumped like the way we should have been the last two games. I think those two things will go a long way to solving this the issues we have. The, 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 the starting 11 and the substitute spent yesterday, I couldn't believe what I saw. Z, I don't mean to pick on him, but Ziyech doesn't want to be at the club. And we, tr- if it wasn't for a mistaken fax, he would have been he would have been sent out. So why are you bringing him in? There's no logic. There's no logic to it. So you have to put those fast rules down, I think. And here's another question for you, Manny. We're going, we're going deep philosophical questions with Chelsea today. If you had a chance to communicate with Todd Bowley, considering the the crisis that exists at Chelsea currently, what would your message be to him? Yeah, I think, number one, you have to admit that you made a mistake, first and foremost. I think the biggest mistake he made was sacking Tuchel. Now, there may have been some backroom reason why he had to. We don't really know, right? We're just here talking as big fans of Chelsea Football Club. Number two, admit that you made other mistakes, right? I think that hiring Graham Potter was a mistake, and I think you'd admit that now. And I think also you can't treat Chelsea Football Club as a PR, you know, relations sort of, you know, reactionary decision-making process, right? I think he tried to hire Frank Lampard as a PR decision, and that that's not how you run a football club. You know, public relations is is not how you decide to make managerial changes and managerial choices. You look to build for the future. And I think from this point moving forward, you have to look, I, I don't, Todd's going to get grief no matter what, right? But I think we are still in good hands, right? I think he shows that he wants to spend money. He may be spending it foolishly. He's probably made some dumb decisions and I think he'll own up to that. I think he needs to now understand that this next decision will probably be the, one of the most important decisions that he has to make for this football club. And don't make this decision, you know, without thinking about one, two, three, four years from now. Learn learn about the mistakes that you made with hiring Graham Potter. You know, understand the, the reasoning why that was a mistake and why it failed. Know that understand that when you put Frank Lampard as a placeholder, why that was a mistake and why that failed. Learn from these mistakes. This is all, you know, a huge, huge learning experience for an owner that's not had any experience in top flight football, right? This is not baseball, all right? There's not 140 games or whatever, I mean, they play in the MLB. This is, you know, a season with ups and downs. And if you're on a losing streak, you're basically cut out from getting into top four. And their teams are in form and teams are out of form. We've been out of form since the beginning of the season. It doesn't. Ma- it didn't matter who the coach was. The other thing is, look at your squad, Todd. Look at the squad. Look at the personalities. Look at the individuals. And look at the players who actually wear and honor that badge and who want to play for that badge every minute of the game. Focus on those players. Make light of those individuals. Don't try to, you know, 
create harmony for some of these players who are out of form with huge personalities. You have to just take a hold of take the team and 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 make better decisions. That's easier said than done, obviously. Um, but that's that's what I would tell them over a beer. <laughs> yeah, good points. I I think there's a real mix of problems that he's experienced. And I, I'm not just putting it at him. Obviously, Egbali and Clear Lake Capital, we're a, more of a, a group ownership model now. But I think he is the face of it. And the way the last few weeks in particular has shone a spotlight on him and the other owners that, which I contend that the assumption was at the start of the season when he took over that he didn't know what he was doing. And I was very, very defensive of him because I've seen what a success he's been with in the other teams that he's done in different sports that he's the owner for and the success that's happened. And I mentioned this last time, I really, I do believe in a lot of what they're trying to do. But we're giving people a lot of ammunition to say that they were right about his assumptions towards him. Just the, just the point that in the interview, I'm not sure if you saw it, where the Sky Sports reporter managed to get an uh, interview with him in Madrid before the game. And he stated that Chelsea were going to win 3-0 in the Bernabeu. I just... Things like that, they're not a root of the problem, but they really give a lot of people ammunition and build a culture around Chelsea that is a real problem for us. And I'm worried that we're making a bit of a circus of the whole situation. I think he's come in on very, very difficult for difficult challenges of what happened to Abramovich with the UK sanctions and the forced sale and everything's had to happen very quickly. But what I would suggest right now is that cool heads need to prevail on certain situations. Hiring Lampard was a disastrous decision. He doesn't deserve to be a Premier League manager. You've literally employed someone on vibes to try and get vibes out of the fans. And we have to be smarter. We have to be smarter. And I I think he... I I don't think it's a game-ending situation for Chelsea. But as you mentioned, the, the next managerial appointment is going to be extremely important. And if it is Nagelsmann, which... I think it is going to be. On Sunday afternoon, we're hearing that uh, it's edging closer that he's going to be confirmed. You have to give the football people at the club control of the football situation. The technical He's employed three technical directors, I think, who need to run the football side of it. They have to run the football side of it. And Nagelsmann has to be involved. And that has to, you have to be ruthless with the players. We have to be really ruthless in terms of who we're keeping in our squad and who's, de- and who's going to stay and who we're going to build around. And I think then there'll be more patience from the Chelsea supporters long term if, if we stick to those ideals. It, it feels like we've changed the, the MO of the manager three or four times throughout the season in terms of what we need as results now and what we need for the future. And I, I would say to Bowley and the others, you need to make yourself less of a face of what's happening. 
you really need to. The manager needs to be given more control and the football people need to do what they were paid to do. I saw yesterday that Bodhi and Egbali went into the Chelsea changing room after the game and there for an hour. I don't know if that is the kind of thing that they should be doing. I really don't. Um, it seems way too involved. It seems way too involved for people who are not football people. They're not. Um, I know they hold the purse strings, but they need to make themselves less of a face of it. I think it has to be it. Yeah, I think um, I think he's adopting that Jerry Jones mentality from the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Jones is the, the head coach of a national American football team and basically has sort of run the Cowboys pro football team, but uh, not to the ground, but has, has made some difficult decisions in coaching, uh, hiring coaches and players, and also gets gets on the field whenever the Cowboys are not doing well and sort of inserts himself into the day, day-to-day operations and is like the GM, the players' development coach, everything from the top down. And I, I don't think Bowley should be that. And I think you make a strong, strong point um, for that. I think, I, I, you know, that interview, I did see the interview, and I and I, I don't know how else he could have responded. I think he would have just said, I think Chelsea are going to win, giving a 3-0 scoreline. Yeah, maybe that was a little bit too far. Uh, but, you know, but being an owner of a team or part owner of a team, you want to sort of instill some confidence in, in your club. Uh, so I'm not take I'm not too taking it too far with that with that comment, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I do think that that like as you mentioned, as I mentioned before, um, with potentially this team hiring Nagelsmann as his next coach, I think the Chelsea fans should also be prepared uh, to be, they, they should be patient, right? Because Nagelsmann is a, is a good young coach, he did, you know, but Nagelsmann is also a coach that likes to alter tactics, right? He's going to play a back four one day or black five. He's not going to have a set four, three, three that Luis Enrique does. So I think the Chelsea fans also should be prepared that there may be some growing pains next year with the squad uh, with Nagelsmann. But I think that he does have a proven track record. And I think that we, w- we will probably be, in good hands with him as being our next coach. Uh, another thought, another another decision or another statement I wanted to kind of talk about was that Bowley has a lot of faults, and we've seen that the you know since he's taken ownership of the group. But I don't think anybody can question his heart in the club. I think he wants his club to succeed. He's shown that with his checkbook. It may not be the smartest decisions in the players that he's bought, but it's not like the Glazers or, you know, the Arsenal owners. I think he really, really, really wants this team to succeed. So I think mistakes were made on his coaching hires. Obviously mistakes were made on some of the wages being doled out to some of these players. But I think, Long term, I do still do think that we came out with the best possible ownership group that we could, given the extent of time we had during the sell last year. And this is not Roman's Chelsea anymore. This is Todd's Chelsea, Clear Lake's Chelsea. And so we as fans need to shift the expectations that we have set in our mind. But we should also have expectations for the football club and for the players and for the management that honor and wear that badge on every time they go out there on the pitch. 
I agree completely. And yeah, I second everything that you just said. Um, I really, I, I like what the owners have tried to do in terms of the culture change because some of it had to change. I think they just need to be a bit more smart and maybe that comes with experience and it maybe does. And hopefully this season will be a bad dream in a, in a, a long history, new history of Chelsea football club. Um, but I think those decisions need to, those better decisions need to start be making now. And I think it's, it's, it's broken me. It's completely broken me this season. I just want it to be over. I really want it to be over so we can start again. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think we were texting today before the we were recording this pod, and I had just told Simon I had rewatched the Brighton game, and I had had a great day of hiking in the morning, and came back and popped a beer and watched a game, and what was. A serene, you know, like serenity sort of got just got washed away, and I would just started texting Simon. I was like, "I'm this is ridiculous. I've never seen a team so disorganized," and I was just angered by by the lack of, you know, just drive by some of the players on the pitch yesterday. And I think, I think that's just yesterday's match against Brighton. You know we can talk about how good Brighton are and how they've done so well in terms of finding talent on that squad, right? Like Matomo is just phenomenal, you know? And then um, they got this guy, what, uh, Estupinan uh, from Ecuador, Ecuador yeah. like, you know, to fill, yeah, fill in Cucurello's spot. And he's outshot. He's been one of the best left fullbacks in the premier league this season and he's, you know, um, and so God, it just shows you how different both squads were yesterday. Like Brighton wanted to win the ball every moment of the game. They possessed the ball when they wanted to, they had so many more opportunities barring a couple of Kepa saves. The, the scoreline could have been so differently. So if there was a game that sort of, you know, that sort of personified this season. It was yesterday's game on, on just where Chelsea has been, where Chelsea's at. Yeah, it was, it's painful to watch, really painful. I don't think anyone in their true heart of hearts, really, if they think, trying to think objectively about it, thought that we were going to get any, we were not, we were going to win yesterday. I think it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion given the quality of the opposition and the disorganised rabble that we have at the moment, which I know we're going to be finishing in a moment, but Real Madrid on Tuesday evening, what are your thoughts and what, what are your predictions? Um, you know, I, we we t we mentioned this weeks ago, and we without not not knowing that we would have a managerial change, I thought that we we both thought that we matched up very well with Real Madrid, but we were wrong with that first showing. I think if you talk to any Madrid fans, they were sort of disappointed that the game only ended two zero, um, even before the red card. They were on on the ball and had more chances to score than we did. Um, I think the first 15 minutes we looked pretty good, but after that, you know, we just just looked lost. And I think not having Chilwell in that match is huge because that you know you're forced to play Cucurella at left wing back or left fullback, and you know Kulabali is out, right? So now you have Fofana pairing up with either Trevor or Silva because Badia Show can't play. 
Reese James will probably start. He just did not did not look good in the last two games. I don't know what's going on. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't. You know, it's at the bridge, but we were at the bridge mm-hmm. yesterday, right? Um, it's it is a Tuesday night. Maybe that will change things, but I don't. I, you know, I, I have very low expectations going into this game that we will have a result that may move us forward into the semifinals. I see us either a zero zero game or maybe a one zero Madrid win. I don't. I don't see us scoring because we haven't scored until they've proven me otherwise. I don't see us um, scoring any goals against this Madrid team. And they rested a lot of players this weekend also in hopes of uh, shoring up the tie on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I I can't see anything else besides a Real Madrid win, I'm afraid. Um, I just want to show a bit of fight, a bit of organization, and maybe a bit of luck. Um I don't want us to get embarrassed. That was my big fear. Scoreline was a little bit deceiving from last week, being only 2-0. Two, two um, to me, the most important games this season now are the remaining Premier League games because think about it, if we do manage to to get a result on Tuesday, we've got Man City in the semi-final. Haaland running against the Frank Lampard defence makes me very, very scared. Um, and I think that we have to con- we have to break it down and con- concentrate on the fundamentals. And I think it's going to hurt. I love the Champions League; it's my favourite competition. It means more to me than anything else because Chelsea have set their history, new history, with those wins. But I think we have to get back to basics and concentrate on solidifying the Premier League status and building for next year. Well, that brings us to the end of a very somber, somber episode of our podcast Chelsea against the world but we wanted this podcast to be a little bit more um you know not doom and gloom although there was a little bit of that but also what we thought Chelsea fans and the team should do for the future under the remaining games of Lampard's regime and what potentially could be a Nagelsmann or a Luis Enrique uh, future for the club uh, remember to follow us on our socials. We are at on Twitter and Instagram at C-A-T-W podcast. That is C-A-T-W podcast. And email us any questions, comments, concerns you may have at podcast C-A-T-W at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Just second what Manny said. Sorry, this has been a bit of a somber episode. Um, kind of feels like the mood at the moment, but we wanted it to be somewhat productive, not just a rehash of what's been happening thanks for tuning in and keep the faith come on Chelsea and let's hope for a better result on Tuesday night see you next time